Welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. We're here to bring you helpful information from leading experts and give you effective tools and support. I'm Jason Grigla, a licensed counselor and founder of Techie for Life, a specialized mentoring program for neurodiverse young adults. And I'm Debbie Grigla, a certified life coach. And maybe most importantly, we're also parents to our own atypical young adults. Hello and welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. I'm Jason Gregla, and I am joined with my good friend, Dr. Jack Hinman. He's a clinical psychologist. He recently opened a young adult program up in Cedar City, Utah, Southern Utah, nearby, and we've worked quite a bit together. He actually worked as the clinical director at, at a treatment center where I did as well in years past. And we're having Jack on because he is passionate about attachment. And we recently presented on attachment and neurodiversity at a couple of conferences, actually, and and it was a lot of fun. I thought it was good work. So welcome to the program, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, hey, thanks, Jason. I appreciate this opportunity for us to reconnect again. Yeah, we, you and I have had a couple of times to actually discuss this topic at a couple of different presentations. It was kind of interesting. One of the the first conference was at an autism conference. So it kind of like had a participants coming there for more information about autism. So it was kind of, we kind of leaned more into the attachment kind of angle of this conversation. And then the other, this, the one we, you and I spoke most recently at was at Attach. So then we took this show on the road to the attachment kind of folks. So it's been interesting presenting this topic with kind of two different like groups and then yeah. kind of like how they're merging together because they cross right. together. And what's so cool, I think, about autism and attachment is that we're seeing so many more people being diagnosed with autism. We're seeing so many people going to treatment or needing supports. And so it's a really growing like population for lots of different reasons. And then at the second, at the same time, we're seeing the popularity of attachment. So attachments like school, like Bowlby and all that stuff like that. And it's kind of cool to see like where Esther Perel and a lot of these really well-known couples therapists, sex therapists are really leaning in on attachment and people are really starting to reutilize attachment again. Attachment's coming cool again. So attachment's coming cool. We're seeing more people with her diagnosed with autism because it's kind of like these things are merging together. So it's a cool topic to kind of talk about. Yeah. I want to get into that. At the end, we'll have you introduce yourself and I'd love for you to talk about your program there in Cedar City and introduce it a little bit. We can just do that at the end. What what I really want to do today is talk more about the attachment piece, because most of our, our listeners are already pretty familiar with autism and neurodiversity. Why are you so passionate about attachment? What's so important about attachment? Because attachment affects all of us. Attachment is is our kind of our foundation of like who we are and and I, I think the, be- the easiest, quickest way to describe attachment is our attachment is our relationship operating system. It's our R- ROS. It's like the operating system on these things that we carry around and we have probably insecure attachment with them. And, and the thing is that it's our, it's like our attachment system is our operating system. It, 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 it causes or affects the stress we feel in relationships. 
it also affects the way we respond to that stress. And the same way with like the operating system on our phones is that we need to continually update and evolve our relationship operating system. And so that's our attachment system. And so there's, and it's a really good way to kind of understand how you, how how you tick. It's like, it's, it's, it's a really good way to to understand the way you see relationships, the way you met, the way you experience stress in relationships and how you respond. And so there's four different types of attachment styles that have been heavily researched and utilized in child development and, and in therapy and couples therapy and all those things. And so I found it very beneficial for my own self-growth. I found it very beneficial to train therapists on their knowledge of their attachment style. I've found it very beneficial for staff to understand their attachment style and how that influences the process. And unfortunately, in the world of therapy or treatment, we focus so much on the client. What about me? Like, what am I doing to influence the therapeutic process? What stuff right. that I'm bringing to the table? What are staff bringing to the table that's causing that process? So I found it very helpful helping people, therapists, staff to identify their attached style and how to influence the therapeutic process. We highly encourage our listeners who are going to be working with anyone who's neurodivergent, but also those who are listening who are neurodivergent. Jack, where can they go to get a quick assessment of what their attachment style looks like? Do you have any good resources? Yeah, I love the attachment project. And it's they've kind of taken a couple of different measures and combined it into one survey or one test. And it's called the attachment project right on their homepage. You could take the quiz. I encourage you to give them their email address because you'll get a more re- robust report back. And it'll break down your attachment style with your parents, with your romantic partner, even your parents are still alive and those things. And it really shows you that attachment is on a continuum. Like, right. like the same way with neurodivergency is on a continuum. Attachment's right. on a continuum. And, and then our attachment shows up differently with different people. You can, and also too, I'm a big believer our attachment style changes and evolves and molds over time for the good or the healthier, the unhealthy, best way to describe it. So, so the, the critical thing here, listeners, is we've been, Debbie and I have been hitting and, and stressing how important it is for us to be in our higher brains. And whether or not we are in our higher brains or lower brains largely depends on that operating system that, that Jack is talking about. So figuring out your attachment style is a huge benefit to work on and get better at how you are receiving stimulus, how you are reacting to situations, and then how you show up in the scenario. So we highly encourage you to go find out your attachment style and then understand it so that you know what your triggers are, your weaknesses, your you know your pitfalls. There's no perfect attachment person that I know of that's good at all of it. So that's the first thing, Jack. The second thing is maybe you could just take us through those four attachment styles and give us a quick summary. Yeah. And I'd love to jump into that part about understanding your attachment style. So yeah, there's four, four attachment styles and they're secure. And I've having a secure, non-anxious type, non-avoidant type kind of connection with like your, your primary caregivers, your parents or your romantic partners and those things. That's secure. That's what we're shooting for. And then there's preoccupied, which is also kind of been labeled as anxious type. So when you're preoccupied, you feel stress when you feel disconnected 
you you want more intimacy. You want more connection. You lean into relationships. So when you feel like, what? There's kind of a neediness then. Yeah, it could be needy. Yeah, it could feel it could feel very needy if needy to a person. Like, say you have a preoccupied person dating a avoid a person that can feel very needy to avoid a person, or can feel very needy to to a secure person. So for so when they feel a lack of they feel a lack of connection, they get their anxious the anxiety spikes. Then they actually rush into relationships, which could be neediness, hundred percent. And then you have the avoidant type. They are overwhelmed with intimacy. They're overwhelmed with the emotionality relationship or high connection. So when that happens, they pull back. But in reality, the preoccupied type and the avoidant type are really both anxious. They both feel anxiety. So what the preoccupied feels anxiety when there's, when there's disconnect. The avoidant feels anxiety when there's too much in the relationship. Then you have the, then you have the disorganized type, which is a combination of both. And that's where we kind of hear about, oh, they're so hot and cold with me. One minute, they're super really close to me. Next minute, they're pushing me away. And that's very feeling, that's very disruptive, that person, very disruptive relationships. So it's a combination of both. And typically, a disorganized type person has had more significant trauma, more significant early relational trauma has developed the disorganized type. So we have secure, preoccupied, avoidant. And the disorganized type, and so the the reality in, in, in the therapeutic work, I really believe that you're to do deep work. You're actually adjusting and shifting one's attachment style, and so and from an attachment standpoint, what you're doing is you're really educating the client like about their attachment style and helping them respond more securely. That's the process, and that's, that's the same work with staff, like with your yeah. parents, like. I love working with parents and I call it secure parenting. How like you talk about being regulated, the regulated mind. We could we can call it wise mind. We call it secure attachment. And so or higher is, brain. Like, yeah. Yeah. I have a fly flying around that. Yeah. So higher brain, higher brain is being secure, being in a secure place. So right. the reality is that we don't choose our attachment style. Our attachment styles choose us based on our developmental history. It's not a pathological, di- it's not a diagnosis. It's not a negative label. It's just your style. But the thing is, you could be disorganized and learn and through through therapeutic work, your own personal work, work on re- re- responding securely. So you could be preoccupied, but respond securely. And yeah. I think that's where it misses the boat. We, we can, we're easy to identify problems but we're really not good at like helping a person know what a secure response is. In and a, so in a very, parent, yeah, go ahead. In a, in a very lay sense for healing, healing or bettering our attachment style requires us to have a better relationship with ourself first, how we think, how we feel, how we react, heal from the past, heal from traumas, abuses, neglects, and heal from the, the lessons life taught us about attachment and decide which ones are effective and which ones aren't. And and choose to lean into the uncomfortableness of learning to be vulnerable, for example, is a hard one. That's that insecure yeah. attachment or that anxious attachment. So yeah, let me let me jump to, on that, Jason. Like something yeah. I want to share with you said healing the self. Like it's so cliche, it's so cheesy. Like you gotta love yourself before you can love somebody else. Like we hear that millions of times, but it's so true. But it's coming from an attachment standpoint. 
The reality is that when you have disruptive attachment, like anxious type or avoidant type, even disorganized type, you're in relationships for security. You're not in, you're, you're not seeking relationship for just connection and health. And so the reality is that you're, you're going, you're seeking connection and relationship from an unhealthy place or motivation. So when right. you're secure, when you have secure attachment or you're, or you're, you're responding securely, you're seeking relationships because you want connection, not because of security. So you need to love yourself, which means you got to have security with yourself before you can securely connect to somebody else. So you're 100%, Jason, on that. Yeah. And now and now you add in the factor with neurodivergent. And being neurodivergent means that you come into this world already misattuned to the people you're expected to attach to and attach with. And it just magnifies and exponentially can cause problems with attachment. And there's so many reasons for that that we're going to get into. So I, I'd like to move into that. And you just, hey, Jason, you yeah. just said, I loved it. You're talking about be like neuro, like neurodivergence of neurodivergence and use the word attunement together. Like I thought that was really interesting, Jason. You just said attunement. Yeah. Well, what is attunement for you? That's a great word. Yeah. I think like, it's cool that you're using it from like a, like a neurology standpoint or like describing like, like autism in a sense, we're not like being attunement with the world. And so attunement is knowing like, like it's like an instrument tuning, like tuning an instrument to it, to, for it to play with this nice robust sound or tuning into like somebody else's needs. So the classic attunement definition for attachment is like the, the primary caregiver being attuned, being aware, being knowledgeable, knowing what the need is and knowing how to respond appropriately at the appropriate time. So the classic example is when a baby cries, what do we do? We go to it. Or when a baby smiles, we smile back. That's like that whole attunement process at the very beginning is the like the very first start of validation. Attunement connects to validation. So when a baby smiles, it's our natural tendency to smile back. We're tuning to them. Or when they're crying, we give them a bottle, we give them clothing. Like, And that attunement evolves through the development of that child. And hopefully, as we're going to be successful partners in like monogamous or long-term relationships, attunement is huge. So attunement seems to be the, the act of connecting, which brings the attachment, which is kind of the overarching umbrella. And also attunement seems to be really connected with co-regulation, where the, the child the child is dysregulated and our job is to come in and help them regulate from a, a mentoring, connecting, non-judgmental, safe place to help them get from their lower brain into their higher brain, get out of their fight, flight, freeze, fawn response, to get out of their insecure or anxious or disorganized attachment to I'm okay. That that's their relationship first. I help them be okay with them so that they can start being attuned to the world around them. And that is such a critical, scientific, absolutely research-based, important critical factor that we tend to not discuss. That are you attuned right now to yourself and to others? Are you connected to yourself and others? Are you co-regulated? That's the first thing we do here at TFL with neurodivergent brains because that is by far the biggest roadblock is they are in their lower brain, fight or flight. And we sometimes refer to it as the limbic brain. 
And until they're out of that, they can't develop. Their brain can't grow. Now I'm getting ahead of myself for the things we want to talk about. But let's let's go over real quick for neurodivergent. Those of you who are here listening because Jack's on, welcome to the podcast. Neurodivergent means anything that is physiologically different in the brain that creates a developmental difference. It means quirky. It means autistic, nonverbal learning disorder, ADHD, and lots of other either recognized by the DSM-5 or not <laughs> scenarios, but that their brain is physiologically different and it's different than chemical differences. It's where the neural pathways are aligned differently, most of the time different in a way that creates some form of disability, weakness, or gap, but then also can possibly have some really good high, high peaks. And so when you get the peaks of someone who's autistic and the valleys of someone who's autistic in their brain, they're outside of the bell curve. So they are divergent to what is called neurodiversity in a general sense. Um, I don't know if that if that fits for you, Jack, or you want to add anything to that? Yeah, no, I have a question, Jason, like, because we've used the term neuroatypical, we've used like spectrum and all those things. So I'm just curious, you're thinking around why we're using neurodivergent as, as more of a more recent term versus those other terms. I'm just yeah, curious. Our knowledge and evidence and our research for the autism community in general has has been fairly new. You know, the last 30 years, we've made major advancements and strides in understanding the brain's physiology with new science and, and research. And we're, we're learning that neurodivergency is, is a better, mm, a better cord that, that flows through all of them because it's such a spectrum. For example, we're finding that the brain, the brain of someone who has been diagnosed with ADHD is more similar to a low support needs autist or level one autist than someone who's level one autist and level three autist, like their brains are totally different. So neurodiversity is so unique and individualized. And we put them into boxes like Tourette's, dyslexia, dyscalculia, ADHD, ASD, nonverbal learning disorder, but they're all flowing into each other back and forth. And you get traits of one popping up in traits of others. And I, I rarely find somebody that fits into one box only. So neurodivergent means you're outside of the bell curve. I I think it's more accurate. I actually think our science, the medical field is going to move more towards a diagnosis of developmental disability neurodivergent and quit calling it autism, like like they stopped Asperger's, for example. Yeah, I think I like that term neurodivergent because it's less of a pathological term. It's less of like you're broken or you're wrong. It's more about you're different. Your brain mm-hmm. is just different. Like, like I have bl- blonde hair. You have brown hair. <laughs> like we have, it, we're different. It doesn't mean blonde hair is better than brown hair in a sense. And right. so it's, and it's that kind of category. And, and I, I remember you and I were having a really interesting conversation at the attached conference about the kind of the culture, the acculturation of somebody who has been who is neurodivergent or somebody who's been diagnosed with autism and the stages of acceptance they go through to land where they land and having places like, like techie kind of creates a space of like learning about your identity, learning about yourself and learning to be okay with yourself. And, and cause, and I, I really love how the field's changing where we used to be, we would push therapy was about masking, teaching them how to mask. That was what right. old therapy was like. And now we're like, teaching more about 
understanding the way your brain works and accepting your brain works and being okay. And when you free yourself from that place, trauma, like less trauma happens, less anxiety happens. You have less mental health issues as somebody who's, who is autistic. And so I love that world, world, the world we're going to creating like neurodivergent affirming cultures or environments or schools or places like that. And yeah, that's why techie is so, I love techie because it's a place where I can connect. I can start like my anxiety goes down. I feel part of something. Then once my anxiety goes down and then I can really start focusing on growth and back to the attachment piece where you can't grow You can't move. You can't be vulnerable unless you feel safe and secure. And so it's so cool about TFL is that you've got the the neurodivergent kind of mindset and understanding those people, but you're using attachment to create a a secure base for these folks. Right. And that kind of how how I perceive it. No, I think that's great. And I agree. And that's, that's what's important to us as well. And for those who are listening that, you know, don't have access to TFL, you can create that same environment. The principles that we're sharing are, or what works. It's not that TFL works. It's that we know the principles that work. So you can do those at home. This is why we're having Jack on. I want to jump into some of the differences that make neurodiversity and attachment extra difficult. First thing would be neurodiversity and gender. Talk about that a little bit. How does how does gender affect the neurodivergent population, making it even more sophisticatedly hard to tease out healthy attachment? Identity. When you when you talk about gender, you have to connect identity and and it's really complex because you have sensory, sensory feedback around identity development. There's so many parts about identity. It's like, like your 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 actual identified sex at birth is part of your identity and or your what you identify in your gender, like also your sexual orientation and all those pieces and 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 people who are been like traditionally diagnosed with autism, I think it's like 50 to 70% have in that space. I'm, 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 I'm purposely not using the word struggle. I'm purposely not using the word dysphoria. I'm just saying that they're in that space of being more fluid, have maybe identified their gender is different than what their identified birth is and those things. And so I think we're still trying to figure out what what that is, like what's driving yeah. that process. And But I think it's something that when you're working with people who are who are neurodivergent, I think you have to like think about that. And so funny, I was on not fun. This is not funny. Sorry, I was on the phone with a mom yesterday about Gage, and her son was recently diagnosed with ASD, and we just organically got into this conversation about about the, the LGBTQ community and ASD community, and it really warmed our heart. It was like, whoa, you're really thinking about being affirming and creating a safe place because our reality, like you are too, Jason, we just want them to be true to themselves, who they are. That means being neurodivergent or their gender or their identity. And so I think you have to always have that conversation together because it really impacts that population really high, higher than the normal population by far. Yeah. Three to three to six times is the research that they don't fit the stereotypical genders. And, and with genders, they are they are pretty stereotypical, and a lot of neurodivergent teens and young adults, especially, they don't 
they don't necessarily identify with anything that is culturally stereotypical. They they feel like they're outside of the boxes. So they use words like, well, I feel like I'm agender or genderless. Maybe I'm gender searching. Maybe I'm gender lost or gender queer. And I, I think a lot of it's identity, which you're getting back to attachment, right? Attachment to myself and others. So oftentimes people on the spectrum who are neurodivergent are also on the journey of, and they're on a longer time the time frame for them to develop into who they are is is usually many years, up to 10 to 15 years longer than what we would assume a normal developmental timeline for identifying who they are and feeling like they're who they are. So think about that, Jason, where your neurology is having an impact on knowing who you are. So having confusion or or that being a very going through that process, how do you think that affects connection? Because being genuine and being authentic builds relationships. So yeah. when you're having trouble, like figuring out who you are, it's you. I don't even know what being authentic means. I don't know what being genuine means. Right. So if I'm not being genuine or authentic, like it's hard to really connect with people or attach to people and affects yeah. attachment. So that process is affecting attachment. You see it a lot more as we get into the young adult piece, because like as a parent, as a healthy, secure parent with no hangups, which we all do at some level, is that we want to accept our child for who they are. Like we can accept our child for for being all over the place. So we're leaning into that relationship of attachment as a parent. But now as a young adult, when you're when you're working through your identity and you're not being authentic and genuine to yourself, it's hard to develop deep relationships with people outside your parents in a sense. And it and continue to build healthy attachment is actually building attachment outside your parents and with friends and people like that. So I think it definitely, it's another, there's another huge variable about attachment and identity. I think it's pretty fascinating. Thanks for joining us on this episode of autism and neurodiversity with Jason and Debbie. If you want to learn more about our work, come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-D-E-B-B-I-E.com. com.